Hello, this is Dan Smith. Welcome to the Christian Leadership Podcast, where we delve into the hearts and minds of Christian leaders. Today's guest is Ed Van Newland. Ed has worked as a development director for over 20 years, first for Logos Christian School and currently for CareNet of the Palouse, a pregnancy crisis center. We talk with Ed today about living as a Christian dad, husband, fundraiser, amateur historian, children's author, and what it means to be an example in Christ. All right, uh, welcome to the podcast, Ed. How are you doing today? Uh, very well, Pastor Dan. Uh, awfully nice to uh, have this opportunity to get together with you on this lovely, sunny uh, November afternoon. All right, good. So I'm going to just dive right in today, and I'm going to ask you to tell me how you became a Christian. Well, um, I was not raised a Christian, and uh, but I, I was raised in a Catholic town, um, the town of Butte, Montana. It's got more Catholics, I think, now than either Spain or Italy or Ireland combined. <laughs> Um, but it, uh, so I knew Jesus as an historical character and as a local uh, celebrity, shall we say, in, uh, in, in you know, it was a very, very Catholic town, uh, first through eighth grade Catholic school, several of them, a Catholic uh, boys high school and Catholic girls high school. So my uh, mother-in-law, who was a believer uh, and wanted me to start thinking in those terms after they said they would allow me to marry their daughter, who was not a professing believer at the time mm -hmm. either. Um, she got me a Jerusalem Bible, which is a Catholic version of a Bible, thinking that because I came from a Catholic town, um, that this might click with me. Okay. Um, I still have the Bible. I carried it around with me for 13 years. Um, and I had just finished reading Tom Wolfe's Bonfire of the Vanities, and I like to jump from you know kind of book to a different kind of book, uh, especially if the if the book leaves a, a bad taste in my mouth. And Bonfire of the Vanities really really nails the uh, the secular world, the the uh, money grubbing high fashion, ridiculous, hellbound world. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to grab this Bible and I'm going to read some of the Bible. Okay. And so I went to, you know, Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark and that, ah, this is, you know, I don't need to read this. It's Boring. This is just kid <laughs> stuff. And I flipped over to one of the epistles. I'm not even sure what it was. It was probably Paul something or other. And I couldn't make heads or tails of it, so I thought, well, I'll read all about Jesus. And so I started with the first book, where you know, the gospel shows up, Matthew, and I, I read through Matthew, and I read through Mark, and I read through Luke. And I was partway through John, not at 316 or anything, and it was a September day, 28 years ago, this last September. I was out in my front yard, um, my two little kids at the time, I had two kids, a two-year-old and five-year-old, they were playing around in the yard and I was sitting at the picnic table and I got off the picnic table, got down on my knees next to the picnic table and said to God, 
I believe what I'm reading is true. I want to be a Christian. Help me. And then I got up, got back, <laughs> got back on the uh, picnic table and continued to read. So when Janet got home from work at, uh, at the WSU Veterinary uh, Hospital, um, I said, hey, guess what? And I said, I'm reading this Bible your mom gave us. And uh, I, I believe it's true. Mm -hmm. And she laughed and she said, I can't hardly believe you're saying that. Now, it was never a mean person toward Christians, but I was antagonistic toward the whole notion of worship. And I didn't have many Christian friends, and I thought Christians were a bunch of do-gooder weirdos. Um, <laughs> and we are. And we are. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so uh, uh, I encouraged her to read with me. And in November of that year, she got on her knees in the living room in November, uh, and we prayed together, and she prayed to be led by Jesus Christ. And uh, and that that's the name of that tune, and it's been it's been glorious uh, grace upon grace for 28 years. So, uh, what are some of the things that changed? Anything immediately? Was it a slow process? Um, I was still very much my own person, leaning on my own understanding. And I knew that if I were going to be claiming to be a Christian, that I was going to have to try to work on, you know, not cussing so much. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't a stumbling drunk, but I certainly liked beer, and I still do, by the way. <laughs> um, and uh, I needed to, I knew, I, I knew enough at that point that I had to be looking for fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I committed those things to memory because I need to work on them as much now <laughs> as I did 28 years ago. And when I say work on them, um, we are, are not able to save ourselves. But it is incumbent upon us, as it says, to whom much is given, much is required. And to discipline yourself, to remind yourself, to remember that you need to watch your temper in traffic. You need to be kind when you don't want to be kind. You need to be patient. I like the term long-suffering better than the word patient because uh, God is not just patient with us, but it, it, it hurts. It pains him while he's, while he's giving us uh, more time <laughs> to, <laughs> to work some things out. He's giving us the grace. Grace, that's one form of grace, is the time that he gives us uh, you know, before he would bring the hammer down because we're such dopes sometimes. But anyway, that's the one that I think men have a hard time with is uh, those two, self-control and patience. Um, having raised boys and girls, I could, I, I'm here to tell you that I see boys as being less patient than girls, men being less patient than women, and um, having less self-control. Uh, I think those are the two things. That so you saw God. And I, I just needed to work on all those things. I just knew it. 
you know, and I, and I didn't understand grace very much. I didn't realize the generosity, the, the level of generosity, the fullness and the permeating quality of, of how generous it, grace is, what, what a type of generosity it really is. It, it's huge, it's thick, it's full, it's, it's more than sufficient. Mm -hmm. And when you realize that we're given this, then we, I think if I find that I'm being less than patient, I'm kicking against it because mm -hmm. it's sufficient and I'm not letting it, I'm not letting it do its work in my life. And so um, that's what, that's what sin really looks like sometimes to me is just holding back grace because you're, you're, you're enjoying being an impatient bozo. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So, so then at what point in your Christian walk did you start uh, seeing that God may have an assignment for you in the kingdom or some work to do other than on yourself, but just, you know? Um, it, I was put instantly on the fast track. I was a Christian for about nine months when Janet and I needed to look at our uh, oldest child, um, who is now 33, um, to go to kindergarten. And so I said, let's go over to Logos. I, I had met a couple people that were teachers at Logos before I was a Christian. And for our listeners, in case they don't know, Logos is a Christian oh, yes, school. Yes, Logos is a Christian school in Moscow, Idaho, pardon me. And um, I had known a couple of people, worked with them in the retail business, and um, uh, I got in touch with them. I said, you know, what's the scoop? And they said, well, you come, come over and talk to so-and-so. And so I went over and talked to uh, Tom Garfield, the uh, principal at the time. Uh, and for many, many years, he was the principal, 30-some years. Um, and my wife and I talked with him, and the conversation was excellent. And so we enrolled Natalie in a Christian school as a kindergartner. And then uh, a fellow approached me to take a look at the Gideons, because my background was business. And he said, come to a Gideon meeting. And I thought, well, okay. And, um, and I didn't know anything about it. I mean, zip. And uh, I don't even remember ever seeing a Gideon Bible, you know. Really? Even a hotel Well, somewhere. I rarely stayed. You know, I'm from Butte, Montana. You know, we, <laughs> we sleep out on the ground. <laughs> we, we don't do hotels. We're, yeah. we're the least fancy people you'll ever meet. So, I, uh, but the fellow who asked me, his name was Fred Cole, a dear old saint who's now in heaven, um, and uh, just a wonderful early example in my Christian life. Of, uh, of a lot of, of a lot of Christian uh, traits and habits, he was just the best, and so I became a Gideon. So within about a year and a half of becoming a Christian, I I was involved in a Christian school. I was in working with the Gideons and um, just meeting lots of different Christian folks, and and so God just really had plenty to keep me busy and to keep me going in a certain direction. Okay, good. And then who are some of the uh, people or some of the ways that God deepened your faith? You know, we come, we're saved, but we grow in our faith. Who and how were you helped in that? Well, it, I'd like to say it came in two forms. There were the people who I knew 
before I was saved, and you're one of them, and uh, you were pastor of Four Square Church. I knew, um, oh, half a dozen fellas that I had worked with um, in business in the, in the area who were believers. One of them even tried to uh, get me to read uh, Mere Christianity, and I took it home, never touched it, gave it back to him a week later, and said, I don't have time for this. Although I'm an avid reader, and I had more than enough time. It's a thin <laughs> book. I could have read it 25 times before I gave it back to him, and I didn't. And uh, so there were folks, uh, people I knew, folks such as yourself. My wife worked with a couple of ladies that were believers uh, at the university. And a lot of folks prayed for us when we weren't saved. And that was a pretty amazing thing to me. It's one of the things I like to do is pray for people and they don't, and they don't know I'm praying for them. Uh, it's just, there's just something about that that really really does it for me. And then the other group, the other way, was particular individuals who by their uh, actions, rather than just their words, but by the way they were, the way they treated other people, the way they talked to other people, the way they were around other people, the way they talked about other people. And uh, I think of Jim Wilson, um, just a, a wonderful, wonderful Christian man and pastor uh, who's been in this area since 68 or something like yeah, that yeah. and uh, has, um, uh, has affected so many people with his, his, just his obvious godliness. A woman named Trudy Marston, um, I think when I get to heaven I'll see four people and I'm going to recognize them because it's heaven. And there'll be Jesus, and there'll be Peter, and there'll be Paul, and there'll be Trudy. Okay. And the big four. The big four. Maybe Mother Teresa. Yeah, somewhere in there. But I mean, Trudy was uh, just such. Just it just comes out of her love. You see love. She, there isn't a person that she doesn't love. It's I don't. It's just it's it's such a godly trait. Uh, in her, it's just—it's almost an impossibility to think of her, you know, not loving someone as the very first response to mm -hmm. to them. Um, and so there were folks like that. Uh, some of the folks I worked with um, at Logos School. I left retail and went to work at Logos School um, because I was asked to come and help and. See if I could. Now you, you worked as a development. I was the development director money. there, raising money for twenty years. Yeah. And uh, so tell me a little bit about that because you've done that for them. You're doing it now for Care Network. Who's Care Network? Anybody yeah. else you worked for doing that? No. Those are the two main jobs. No. And then uh, so a lot of people would say, well, money doesn't have a lot to do with the kingdom of heaven. How did you reconcile that? Because you worked for two Christian organizations raising money. So tell me about your philosophy of that. Well, uh, my philosophy is simply to um, take a look at what the Bible says about money and everything else that's connected to it. It is, uh, it is connected to many, many other things. I don't know if this is true, but I heard this once and I, I wouldn't be surprised where love is mentioned you know x number of times in the bible and money is mentioned like 20 times more huh. and uh, 
and money answers everything is, is I think you find that, I, I'm not sure, but I think it's in Ecclesiastes. Um, it, it, not, it's, not, it's not the answer for everything, but it answers a lot of things in the sense that uh, if you have money and you use it wisely, you can, you can do a lot uh, with it that is God-honoring. And you would, I think you would be really nuts to have some sort of bubble that you built around yourself that says, um, I am not tainted in any way by money. Uh, I, I just, I don't see how anyone cannot understand that you have to have money to pay your bills. You have to have money to put a roof over your head. You have to have money to eat. You have to have money to close your, clothe your family. Um, you can give money uh, to help other people do all those things. You can, uh, you can give money to make people better if they're sick, to make them uh, uh, capable of getting um, themselves up out of a hole if they're having trouble, maybe financially, maybe they need to go to college or something like that. Mm -hmm. So money is not a it's it's called filthy lucre, yeah. King James, yeah. and and <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, it's a very necessary, and I won't call it necessary evil. There's nothing evil about it. There, uh, sin is bad. People can be sinful and evil. Uh, money is just a thing, and uh, so you've so, you never had any problems at all. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you didn't because this is what you've done. Have you ever got any pushback from people on that or is that saying, uh, why are you asking me for money? Yeah. You shouldn't. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Never. I have never had it said to me in, in that way. I've had people say, no, they are not going to give. Yeah. And the way I approach it is if I believe something is very valuable and worth supporting and I know from the outset, from the get-go, that it's a uh, it's a kind of ministry that requires uh, support and funding, not only just from believers, but from anybody that can see the value. Mm -hmm. I, I've had money come to me um, at Blues Care Network, as well as Logos School, that came to me from people who are not believers. Mm -hmm. They just appreciated the quality of the education we were giving at Logos or the work that we're doing right. in Moscow and Pullman and the Palouse with Palouse Care Network. Um, so money is a means to an end and if, and if the end is honoring God, then you, you, know, you use the money. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what plundering the Egyptians. <laughs> uh, you can work that in there too. <laughs> but the thing is, is that money is just a, it's just a tool, it's a thing. Yeah. And I don't have a problem, a problem at all asking someone to consider what's important to me so that if it's important to them, their dollars in, in gift would, would be wonderful. Good. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. I know that your avocation, you've told me, is you're, you're a scholar, a writer, 
a reader. <laughs> so, Skip the scholar. Well, I maybe definitely am a writer. Self, I definitely am a reader. Yeah, and so tell me about some of the things you, you you've written, some of the things you've read. I mean, how things that have changed your life. Well, when I was a um, a young fellow, um, much younger fellow, uh, my mid twenties. Um, I wrote a children's book called Fred's Weekend Adventure. <laughs> and uh, me and the kids who are now, my kids are now 23 to 33 years of age. Uh, we still like to read it. We've read it to one of our oldest grandkids. Um, it's just a fun, dumb thing and it never went anywhere. I never sold it or anything. I, uh, I made uh, copies and, and sold them for 10 cents. So no one could say I never made a dime as a writer. <laughs> and this is back in the early 80s, 82. So you could get away with a lot of things back then. <laughs> and then uh, I, uh, when I was at Logos, I wrote uh, a couple of manuals that were included in startup kits for other people uh, who were going to do a Christian school uh, based on the paradigm that, that Logos had. And it was uh, Logos School Auction Handbook and uh, Logos School Development Basics. And then my most uh, exciting and wonderful thing is that um, I go sailing with uh, three other fellows. We've sailed together every year without fail for 17 years. And we go to we go to the San Juans and we sail around and, and have a wonderful time for a week living on the boat, sailing ourselves. And as we're coming back on our fifteenth voyage, one of the fellows, Shell Christofferson, um, says we we need to write this down. We've had some terrific adventures. We need to we need to put this in some sort of a book form for the sake of our family having this. You know, covenantally we would like. Our, our family to remember us, to know that we did this and why we did it and what good it was and the value it was. And the wonderful thing is we managed to get it done. We got a ghostwriter and, uh, and she took notes and we did interviews and all that stuff. And she compiled this really, really nice little book uh, called Four Men in a Boat. What's that all about? And you can get that on Amazon. Please buy it. <laughs> and... Uh, it, it it turned out it turned out to be uh, really it made us look pretty good. Yeah. Okay. That's good. <laughs> Most of the things in it are true. Yeah. So so you've done some study though on yourself in terms of uh, I I know you don't like the word scholar but haven't you studied some things doctrinally theologically? Uh, well, I'm an avid reader and I read. Oh, some years I'll read 50 books, some, reads, some wow. years I'll read 75 books. I wow. mean, I, I just, I read, read, read. I don't sleep. I think there's something in the Bible that says, if you don't sleep, there's something wrong with your conscience or something. But I, <laughs> but I have not killed anyone. I, <laughs> I am not up at night because I can't live with myself. Not at all. Um, I just have never slept my whole life. My, in my entire adult life, I get about three hours of sleep a night, and that's it. And so I read a lot of times in the middle of the night. Um, but uh, I, my, my college degree is history, and I went to graduate school in history. Okay. And I love history, and I, so my avocation is as an historian. Maybe that's what I was picking yeah, up on. And so I love to read um, uh, just the history of the human race and all its all its times, all its foibles, uh, you know, everything about it. Um, I like the Middle Ages. Um, I think life was, you know, just on the verge of of turning into something uh, a little bit less than 
the ugly times. It was the hard times, the brutal times. But yet Christianity was solid, especially in Europe. Um, Christianity was just really coming into its own, shall we say, in the uh, 8th, 9th, 10th centuries. Um, and uh, it's it just a... It, it's just a period that um, fascinates me. I also studied labor history, um, having been born and raised in a, in a copper mining town and worked in the mines, as did my dad, my granddad, and all my uncles. And uh, we, were all, we were all crazy socialist uh, <laughs> people that thought Hubert Humphrey was the second coming and, <laughs> and voted Democrat without a, you know, without changing that ever. And uh, it was always us versus them. We said the only union stronger than the Soviet Union was the miners' union. <laughs> and you know, we were very full of ourselves. And what we didn't understand is that uh, we were, in many ways, as, as the unions, I was a United Steelworker, uh, we were fighting against ourselves and just didn't even really understand the damage we were doing to ourselves as working men because we had that us versus them mentality and we were kind of led around by the nose by shop stewards and, and union bosses and, and people, you know, cutting deals behind the yeah, yeah. You know, behind the walls where they were smoking good cigars and drinking great whiskey <laughs> and you know, it, it was just it, it was not a good thing and the men all you know, they were the most honest, wonderful, decent people uh, that I ever knew in my life and a lot of them were not saved. I was just a lot of them were not saved, yet they were so honest and hard working and they would do anything for you. Uh, I just find that fascinating about the human condition. So, uh, you, you, in your history reading, obviously you've read a lot about the church. I, 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 I heard you talking about that. What, where do you see the church going these days? Um, well, uh, I, I see so many really good things. And so, I'll just say, locally, we have a lot of really good pastors, a lot of really good churches and congregations, good teaching happening. Uh, Bill Richardson, for example, over at E-Free, putting together his uh, prayer breakfast, which you have joined me at, uh, many, many of them. Um, he's bringing churches together to pray for about an hour and a half on Tuesdays. Uh, first Tuesday of every month. And so it's a lot of different fellows and ladies from different churches, different ministries, working together. Um, I love that. Um, I do a lot of church speaking for Palouse Care Network. So I, I go to every sort of denominational the, theological persuasion you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And it's all good. Uh, you know, it's just all good and there's an energy of vitality and excitement in uh, some of the churches that I just know it's not gonna wane anytime soon mm -hmm. so you know as far as the Palouse is concerned Moscow Pullman and the surrounding area I see a very healthy um, Christian dynamic which is good because the universities uh, can be just such uh, towers of secular 
Humanism. Humanism, absolutely. It's like the Twin Towers, you know, uh, in, in Lord of the Rings. It's just, you know, oh my goodness. Um, so, but on campus, both campuses, there are some really, really wonderful young people and some uh, faculty and staff that are just, you know, going to work and doing their job, uh, going to class, studying hard, and picturing Christ in the way they conduct themselves. And I see a lot of that in this community. Um, as far as the world goes, from what I hear from people who travel and, and go here, there, and everywhere, that there are large pockets of Christians in some countries. And of course, Christians are being martyred left and right in various parts of the world. And uh, uh, I just trust that God will not let that go on forever and will reward those and will reward uh, his grace will be forthcoming because of some people who worked so hard for the sake of the gospel. Right, right. And you mentioned you have three kids, four kids. Four kids. Four two kids. boys and two girls, and two of them right. are married, so that means you get, I have six kids. Six kids, yeah. And, uh, uh, tell, yeah. tell me about raising kids as believers. Well, I had a chance to do both. My oldest daughter was four, and my youngest son was about one and a half when I became a Christian. So their their first knowledge of me was as an unsaved fellow. Um, not that they were necessarily up on it. And they were so young that when we started going to church, and I, the first thing I did was really fun. Uh, one, of the, one of the, I love books and I love libraries and I love places where books are sold and I bought a, I was really proud of myself and I really enjoyed it. I bought a, a kid's book about Jesus. And, you know, it had all of the really uh, not so accurate <laughs> watercolor type pictures of a fellow who looked like he came from, you know, the Raphaelite look, you know, that European long hair, feminine looking thing. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but what did I know at the time? And uh, I just remember it was a wonderful thing sitting down with them and talking to them about it and they, they had no idea because there was no mention of it in our house. Uh, they didn't have relatives that we, we hardly ever saw our extended family and, and most of them are not believers and so uh, or weren't at the times some of them are now and uh, anyway so starting really at that humble little beginning with a picture book and they basically became believers in stride with their mom and dad. And uh, uh, I always tell them that the safe harbor is Jesus Christ, that you're going to meet people who do not know the Lord, who do not love the Lord, uh, who know the Bible better than you do, and they know it inside and out, and they can probably, you know, wrap you around a, a pole in a hurry and you have no idea what happened to you. I says, when and if that happens, you return to your safe harbor. You go back and say, okay, what do I believe? And you get the, uh, you know, you, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, etc., etc. 
And they can just they can distill that down to, uh, I know you're there, Jesus. Don't let me down. I need your grace. I need to keep my mouth shut right now because this guy's chewing me up. And I'm going to need to d picture you in the way I do, the way I respond to this. Uh, not necessarily having the right thing to say, maybe. Um, but always go to always go to your safe harbor. Always go to the to your first love, the first thing, uh, and that is your your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then start back out from there. And um, I think that's probably uh, I think that's solid. I, I don't have Very a problem good. with that. And uh, and and. In raising boys and girls, we did it in a thousand square foot house, three bedrooms, one bath. Two boys, two girls, a mom, and a dad. We eat, you know, the boys were in one room, girls in another room. I think room, I remember dad, that another. house, too. Yeah. And the thing is, we, um, uh, and we didn't have a TV. Um, every once in a while, uh, somebody would uh, uh, make one available. And uh, we might watch, we'd hook up a VCR and watch something. But for the most part, it was without television, and um, and being at Logos School, they 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 were very very busy. They had a lot of a lot of work to do, a lot to learn, and we helped them. Monday, uh, well Monday through Thursday night was homework period, mm -hmm. and um, sometimes on Saturday, and so. Um, uh, but we uh, we just did a lot of things, and so being. We wanted to teach them that being a Christian meant acting like one, and so they had opportunities to see me lose my temper and my wife very patiently and kindly uh, bring me back down to earth. And, and so just the example that my wife has set for my kids uh, has been tremendous, I mean, absolutely tremendous. And that was the whole thing with Janet and I. We just, we, we wanted to lead by example and and we devoted our, our life to them. And then, when they got older, when they got into their teen years, and, and the thing about teenagers is that they, is they're not, they, they don't become bad people. They just become um, these emotionally uh, wound up goofuses. <laughs> you know, the girls become very complicated. And they were easy to raise at, at the start. Right. Then they become these very complicated, emotionally tangled. Uh, I mean, you could, they start crying and I'm oh, what? I, I, what did I say? You know? Um, <laughs> and that always used to mess me up. And then the boys, they, you know, they're just you know, wild and run around and have a lot of fun and everything. But when they get a little older and they get big enough to do damage, yeah. you gotta keep the brothers, you know, the, my two boys from fighting when they got older. They could really hurt each other. And you didn't want them doing that at school. And they, my boys, uh, you know, they're doing well in life and uh, you know, very smart, good kids. Um, but they did not like school. They did not like sitting in a desk. They just, it killed them. With both my sons, by the time they were seniors in high school, they said, Dad, you know, I cannot go to school one more second in my, I'll never go to school again. They hated sitting in a classroom, in a desk, all day long. It was a killer. 
But they rose above it, and as young men now, 23 and 29, they are, they're, they're doing really, really well, very organized, you know, good guys that understand that sometimes you have to sit at a desk. Yeah, yeah. Good. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't talked about that would help people understand living? Well, um, I'll share something with you about young men and boys, boys and young men, that comes from my wife. My wife says that uh, the nourishment in a boy's body does not go above the shoulders for a long <laughs> time. <laughs> and uh, and boys just need to keep their hands to themselves and, and be as thoughtful of others as possible and stay busy because boys are lazy. Men are lazy. Stay busy. Um, and if, and if you keep them busy, they might grouse, but they're better off at the end of the at the end of the chore. Keep yeah. them busy. Keep your boys busy. And girls, they're they're multifaceted, wonderful, wonderful people. And here's the thing that I learned when my oldest daughter was married. Uh, a daughter is just the most precious thing. The boys are great. Glad to see them come. Oh man! All right, I got I got a fishing buddy. I got somebody to wrestle with. Uh, you know, we can talk about cars and airplanes and everything. It's very simple for men and boys. But I and I know other friends of mine who have daughters just look at those girls as just they're just special, and they can wrap us around their finger, of course. But they're just they're just so special and wonderful. And it's such a great gift that God gives you. And then God, in the way he does things, in the, in the, in the mystery of things, he gives you the most important thing in your life and then tells you to give it away yeah. when they get married. And he means it. He means it. She is no longer in your charge. You are no longer her head. He gave you this beautiful little creature who just warms your heart and drives you crazy but you love her so much and he says now give her away and that's such a revelation and so until that time happens it would it would behoove a dad to really enjoy the young lady and be the example of the of the man that you would like her to marry. Be kind. Be considerate. Don't bark at her if she's driving you crazy. Um, don't let her. Don't don't get undone by the fact that she'll have an emotional mess day and just start crying at the dinner table. <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah. And then girls have all the other you know physiological kinds of things uh, that uh, are special to them, and they can have days where they're not having a really good day, but it's all science and math and biology. <laughs> this too shall pass. Yeah. yeah and so. Uh, Family is the best thing, and mom and dad really have to be working on it. The, the best marriages in the world are still a lot of work, and you just, it's so worth it. Janet and I have been married 41 years next month, and uh, I don't know how she stands it. <laughs> I think it's going to take, though. It might. 41 years of marital bliss for me, maybe four or five altogether for her. <laughs> Well, thanks for talking with me today, and sure. uh, we'll catch up later. 
Thank you for listening to the Christian Leadership Podcast with your host, Dan Smith. You can find us at christianleadershippodcast.com or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with more Christian Leadership Insights. Have a great week and see you next time.